Hey now, we have an amazing episode today on the Johnny Grish Show. First, we have Rachel Von Orangi, a.k.a. OJ, to talk about the Houston Texans and to give her favorite gambling picks for the NFL this week. And then our good friend Ryan Aber stops by to talk about the Oklahoma Sooners struggles this year and previews the Oklahoma-Texas Red River Shootout. Buckle up. Here we go. First, let's start off with Rachel. Radio superstar. She is the co-host of the Houston Show on ESPN 975, as well as the co-host of the Pickwise NFL Show. You can find that on YouTube and Spotify. Rachel Von Orange, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? It's very weird. It's pronounced Von Oranya, but I've heard it all. Like I said, Van Orangey, Van Orange. I just let everybody call me OJ just to OJ. keep it simple. But yeah, you're great. You're great. Okay. Um, I know you're coming from a townhouse visit. Yeah. How's the hunt? How's the real estate market in Houston these days? Um, it's actually doing good, you know, despite the corona apocalypse and everything. Um, from what my mother's a realtor, okay. I actually went to real estate school back in the day and then decided last minute, you know what, this isn't what I want to do. So I have all my prerequisites to be a realtor, but without taking the uh, state of Texas test that you have to do to actually get the license. But anyways, tell you all that to tell you this, um, the real estate market here is great. I have never rented from an individual before. So I've never rented a townhouse before. It's something I'm looking into because I have two rescue dogs and I just feel like they need more space than what I can give you as you see behind me. Um, they need more space. And so I've been looking at, at renting a townhouse, but honestly, they all want so much money just to move in. I'm thinking I might just stick with your good old traditional apartment complexes. For sure. We'll see. Uh, I wasn't expecting to lead off the podcast with dog talk, but please tell me about your two dogs. What kind of dogs are they? Yeah, can you see them? In the, there they are, both of them. There's a the little yep. blonde colored one and then the big brown one. Um, the big brown one, um, I rescued him. His pregnant mother showed up to a lady's house one day. Uh, the way she told me the story, it was pouring down rain outside, thundering, lightning, and she heard clawing on her door. And she opened the door and there's this big ass pit bull mix dog, whatever the hell she is. And she just comes running in, darts upstairs and starts giving birth. Oh, and God. that's how I got this monster of a dog. He's clear. I know you can't see him. Um, he got one of those doggy DNA tests. He's part Weimaraner and part pit bull. That was the majority of what they saw him. So he's huge. He's like 91 pounds. And then the other one, the little blonde one, during the Corona quarantine, I was driving down a very busy road here in Houston. It's called Westheimer Avenue. And I pull into a parking lot to go get my hair done. And I see this little brown thing dart underneath my car. Like, I swear, I almost ran over this dog. And so I get out of my car. I go underneath. I'm thinking it's a cat or like a possum or something. And there's this little tiny puppy who the vets estimated was about four weeks old. I mean, she was tiny, 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 tiny. And I brought her home and there you have it. Now they take over my life. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Do you have any? Um, I, I don't anymore. I used to have two dogs growing up. Unfortunately, they both passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, Libby oh, and Maddie, my girls, shout out to them. Um, shout okay, out. Let, let's dive into it. Like I mentioned at the top, you're on, at, you're on in Houston on the radio there. Uh, Houston Texans, just a complete shit show of an organization. Um, 
What are your thoughts on the news with Bill O'Brien finally getting fired as not just coach, but as well as general manager? No, right. As we were all under, we all were placing bets over here. Who will get fired first GM Bill O'Brien or head coach <laughs> Bill O'Brien? Um, no, I think that it is long overdue. I'm a little surprised with the timing and frankly, I'm surprised that it happened at all because as you know, Bill O'Brien didn't do shit as the head coach from <laughs> by all accounts, especially now the journalists locally who have had lots of ties and close access to the Houston Texans. And I guess we're chicken shit and too scared to, I guess, perhaps talk like honestly tell the truth about, about Bill O'Brien and the, the cult, the work culture, the workplace at energy stadium. Uh, I guess they were too chicken shit to tell the truth about it because now that he's fired, all of these Houston Texans insiders are coming out with all of these stories about what a tyrant he was, about how all the players were uh, messaging uh, Jack Easterby, you know, text messages saying that they could no longer play for him. And all these stories coming out that didn't come out before until he got fired. It's something a lot of us who didn't have, I don't have inside access to the Houston Texans organization. I work for ESPN 97.5. We don't carry the Texans. We're not the flagship of them locally. And the Texans are so tight knit and so PR conscious. They only give their media access to sports radio 610. So we're not allowed to do anything except basically watch the games from the press box like everyone else and then tell you what we saw. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's long overdue. Um, apparently it's worse than we all thought it was over there. There's stories that J.J. Watt told Jack Esterby that he would not, he could not play for Bill O'Brien anymore. He just couldn't do it. And so I guess what I'm hearing is that Jack Easterby told J.J. Watt and all the players to send him text messages saying what, what was going on or what they thought about Bill O'Brien so that he had it on paper basically to go show the owner. Wow. And the owner, as you know, he inherited the team from his uh, – uh, what do you say? Deceased father. I was trying to think of the politically correct term for that. Uh, Bob McNair. Um, Yes. His dad died. RIP. His dad died and um, he inherited the team. And it has always seemed to me like, like Cal McNair kind of hesitantly inherited the team. Maybe there's family pressure. Maybe there's just that pressure that some sons feel to take over the family business, even if it's not their passion. Right. So I was very shocked at the timing because it's because it just kind of feels like since he got the team, he just get, you know took all the keys to the doors and hand, gave them away as fast as he could and said, okay, yeah, here, I'm the owner, but I don't really want to deal with this here, Bill O'Brien. You're now the GM. You get to hire your own director of operations or whatever you want to call, whatever you want to call Jack Esterby, whatever the hell he does. How does, that, how does a team chaplain for the Patriots the, the preacher for the team somehow comes over here and is now like the director of operations. I don't know, but he just seemed like he didn't really want to be owner. So I didn't think that Bill was going to get fired yet because he just gave him power without ever really doing anything to earn it in the first place. And, but here he goes. Now he's got to step in, but be the owner and the city is rejuvenated. The city is so happy. You have no idea. The city of Houston cares about football again. That, that's very, very interesting. Uh, so just to follow up on that, you said you're surprised by the timing. So you're saying it happened too early or it happened too late? No, I, I believe that it happened too late. I think it should have happened two seasons ago, to be, okay. to be honest with you. I'm surprised, though, from the logic that I feel like Cal McNair has. Um, I'm surprised by his timing just because, like I said, it didn't really seem like he cares to be the owner of this team that much. 
Now he has to step up, not only go find a head coach and a GM in the middle of a season. I just thought he would wait if it was going to happen, that it would happen after the season. But regardless, everybody here is happy that it happened. Yeah. Uh, and just to, to add on on that and just to talk about what a mess the Texans are right now. Sorry, what a mess that Bill O'Brien left the Texans in. They don't have their first-round pick this year. They don't have their second-round pick this year. They traded away DeAndre Hopkins. They traded away Dwayne Brown. Who else did they get rid of? Who am I missing? Oh, man. Who else? You are missing somebody. And they didn't re-sign Tyron Matthew. Nope. Sure didn't. J.J. Watt is now getting old. We all love J.J. Watt, but you know, yeah. he, he's, he has an injury history. Um, they, I, they, I do like their two linebackers, McKinney and Zach Cunningham. Besides that, though, they don't really have much that are building around. Or, no. Yeah, go ahead. They don't. Yeah, no. Uh, Bill O'Brien. Oh, God. Worst GM possibly in history. Um, you know, they go and they give uh, a player like Randall Cobb, like $18 million right. guaranteed. Right. Zach Cunningham, you said you like him. And sure, he's nice or whatever, but he's getting, what, $65, 68000000 million? Like, that's insane. You have Whitney Merciless, who is on a milk carton, MIA. Like, where the hell is he? You know what I mean? Like, and, and he's getting paid a shit ton of money. It, they're, they overpay players that I guess are safe for Bill O'Brien and that he, you know, are his guys. And then they try – I have – full disclosure, I have no problem with most teams trading away a star wide receiver. The team can go 2-14 and 14 with a star wide receiver. We've seen it happen here in Houston. And then they can win a bunch of games with them. I, it is what it is. You know, you want to make sure that, in my opinion, the offensive line, the protection around your, your franchise quarterback and your quarterback gets taken care of. Everybody else is dispensable, in my humble opinion. That being said, um, you don't trade away D-Hop for nothing. And David Johnson, really nice guy. I'm, you know, I, I watch the Cardinals. I love the Cardinals. They're actually like my second favorite team. Watched them over there in Arizona. He hasn't done shit. Since that one year that he had a great year, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was almost three, four years ago now. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a hot minute. So I don't have a problem getting rid of a wide receiver that every other year seems to want to raise. Like I'm okay with that. And if if you don't get along with him, whatever, get rid of him. But you don't trade him away for that. You can't tell me that Hayden Hurst gets traded for a second round or for a third round pick, but you couldn't get more for DeAndre Hopkins. Like, I, it makes no fucking sense to me. Amari Cooper, what did he get? A second or a first round in Dallas? It just it blows my round. mind. Yeah. So I think it's fair to assume you are against the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Absolutely. Especially <laughs> it wasn't until, what, week three before a Texans wide receiver had a touchdown this year so far? Right. So, I mean, and he's over there. DeAndre Hopkins, we, up until week three, right? I tweeted this out. DeAndre Hopkins, one touchdown in week three. That was one more touchdown than the entire Houston Texans wide receivers unit. So, yeah, and then there's, like, this regression that we're seeing with Watson that I honestly didn't think would ever happen. And I don't know if Bill O'Brien just sucked the life out of him. I don't know if he's going to end up being one of those guys that, you know, he got paid and the hunger's not there anymore. You know, mama's taken care of. I'm taken care of. Any grandchildren that I have down the line, they're taken care of. You know, because he got paid a lot of money. I don't know if the hunger's not there, but I never pegged – Deshaun Watson to be a loser. Or I'm sorry, to be okay. To be okay Mediocre. with mediocrity. Yeah, but you see him in a press conference the other day, right? Post game after they lose. And he said, Yeah, we're losing. Yeah, the team's not performing up to standard, but it's not going to take my joy. It's not going to wow. take my shine. I'm still going to keep living my life. 
And I'm just sitting there going like, what, dude? Since when did you become a loser? Yeah, seriously. You know what I mean? So complacent. Yeah. It was Bill O'Brien, I think. I hope. So it's actually very funny. You brought up uh, Deshaun Watson just at the beginning of this when I was talking about some of the players I liked on the Texans. Watson completely slipped my mind. He's been that invisible this year. Yeah. Um, What would you say part of his struggles have been attributed to so far this year? Well, the offensive line is looking better. Uh, than they have in the past. Um, but I, I would say the protection isn't all there. Deshaun Watson does have a problem sometimes with hanging onto the ball too long. Um, and honestly, I, I, like I said, I'm praying that this isn't it. But I really hope that Hopkins wasn't so much of a crutch for him and for this entire offensive unit that now you're seeing what they look like without him. Because you know that guy always took up two people on the field, which I guess opened up stuff for Will Fuller and whatnot. But Will Fuller looks like he's regressing to how he was back in college where he had a problem with the drops. Since he's been a professional, he hasn't really dropped the ball so much, but he was constantly hamstring here, quad here, hamstring there. Will Fuller couldn't stay healthy. Now he's so far, knock on wood, four weeks in, he's healthy. But now he's dropping the ball. And, you know, Randall Cobb hasn't done anything. Brandon Cooks hasn't done anything. Sorry and to cut I, you I off, Rachel, but yeah. Randall Cobb hasn't done anything in almost five years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Since he's been with, with Aaron Rodgers, right? And, uh, I mean, you just – you they gave that guy $18 million guaranteed. It, just, it blows my mind. Absolutely insane. So so where does Houston go from here? Last year – tell me if I'm wrong, but they started 0-3. They ended up making the playoffs. They beat my beloved Buffalo Bills in the first round. And Deshaun Watson was just unbelievable that game. So yeah. now the Texans are 0-4. They don't, like I said, they don't have their first and second round picks. Do they try to add to this team for the remainder of the year? Or do they just accept the fact that, you know, this is a rebuild? Unfortunately, we just got to bite the bullet. We don't have our first round pick, first and second round picks. Maybe we could unload a couple players and get some picks back. Where do you see the Texans going? Um, man, that's a great question. And if I knew who the GM was right now, and their personality and, you know, what I thought of them or what their track record showed, I, I feel like I'd have a better answer for you. If I'm the Texans, if I'm Jack Esterby or Romeo Cornell or whoever the hell's in charge right now, um, this is a throwaway season for me. I, I try to get the most out of the players that I have, but I'm not doing – I'm not making any trades or doing anything unless I know I'm getting a ton of value back for them they have to go out and try to get a second round pick or a first or something. I think they have a couple threes, but I'm not sure I need to go back and look. Uh, but no, this, this is a, this is a tanking season and you try to accumulate picks and you try to salvage, you try to put a bandaid over the bleeding that built the Bill O'Brien era has caused here. And right now what they really need to be focused on doing is trying to get Eric B It's Eric B season. He's going to end up somewhere. He's going to end up with my Atlanta Falcons or he's going to end up here in Houston or somewhere um, but you sell your soul to try to get this man and maybe you can talk to him on the down low. Maybe the chiefs allow you to talk to him a little bit and you can say like, Hey, you know, in the off season, whenever we can really talk to you, what is something you would like to see us do? What do you want us to do? Do you want us to accumulate picks? Do you want to build off of what we have here? Like what, 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 what can we do to help you maybe make us a more desirable team? Because honestly, you don't have first and second round pick why the hell would Eric Bannemi want to come here whenever he could go to Atlanta? You really got to sell the Deshaun Watson factor, the potential that he has. And, you know, it's just, it's got to be, it's got to look like a new day for Houston. I, I, I don't even know if I answered your question there. No, 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 you did. That was great. And um, 
you actually brought up my next topic, uh, the next coach of the Houston Texans. Um, you brought up Bill Bianami. Did I say that right? Yeah, Eric, Eric Bianami. <laughs> it's a weird name. Yeah, seriously. Um, any chance you see Dabo Sweeney jo- joining uh, Houston? I know he was very quick to shut it down, but at the right. same time, coaches are known liars. So, you know, who, yeah. who knows? Um, who do you see uh, potentially besides Kansas City offensive coordinator Bianami? joining who else can you see as a uh, possible candidate yeah uh, a guy that I really like um for any for anything to be honest with you is Greg Roman um the offensive coordinator over there in um in Baltimore yep. I really like what he's done with Lamar Jackson uh, I don't know if you know this about me or not but I'm actually not the biggest Lamar Jackson fan well um, do you know his nickname what is that limited Lamar no I haven't heard that how have I not heard that? I think it's a great name. I like it. I like it. You can um, use it. Thank you. I'm to- I'm, yeah, I'm totally jacking that. But <laughs> I'm really impressed with what he's done with the evolution of Lamar Jackson. And you know what? When they drafted him, they still – yeah, they still had Joe Flacco back there, who is night and day polar opposite type of quarterback, right? You have a statue, a, a traditional passer from the pocket, and then you have Lamar Jackson who put up a ton of points over there in Louisville, but, you know, just whatever. He never could really read the blitz. He doesn't play well under pressure. He doesn't play well from behind. I was at the game during his Heisman year campaign. So uh, my alma mater is the University of Houston. Okay. And the funnest – Go Cougars. Thank you. Go Cougs. The funnest game I can ever remember attending as a student – this is the one time I stormed the field, almost broke my ankle – um, I ran, I ran straight on accident because I was, I had my phone up like this, right? And I'm running on the field and I'm screaming, and I'm Snapchatting, not realizing Ed Oliver, you said you love the Bills, right? Yep. Ed Oliver's right in front of me and I'm going like this and I just ram right into the back of his, his jersey and I have a great picture. Like we took, we took a selfie together on the field. It was awesome. But anyways, my point is uh, Lamar Jackson, he got sacked. Like I want to say oh, 10 or 11 times in this game versus the University of Houston and Louisville was ranked number four. I believe number three or number four that night. It was a Thursday night game on ESPN. And that was where I started to notice, you know, I saw flashes of brilliance from him and by all means, the Heisman belonged to him that year. But I was just like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about you as a pro. I don't know how I feel about it. And then we see him in the pros and there's, I mean, don't get me wrong. You have fantasy football, fantastic player to have on your team. And this year, you know, he's staying more in the pocket. He's, He's putting it in the air more. And I know that they're trying, I think they're trying to get him to take less hits. But my point is, it's not sustainable to play the way that he has been playing, taking those hits. I've seen this movie before. I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. I saw it happen to Michael Vick. Saw it happen to RG3. And yes, Lamar Jackson's better than them. But still, the point still remains true. And he hasn't been able to win a playoff game. Mm -hmm. And that scares me. And we see him whenever he plays from behind versus the Chiefs the other week. Has to play from behind, play under a lot of pressure. He's ranked like the 27th passer rating in the league when playing from behind. Wow. Okay, that scares me. That scares me. So I'm not, I'm not, the, biggest, not the biggest fan of him. So Greg Roman, what he's doing with that kid, though, really impresses me. He did amazing things with Colin Kaepernick. I think he could do a lot of things with Deshaun Watson. Do I see Dabo Sweeney coming here? No. Why would you ever leave Clemson? You have it made. You are the mayor of Clemson. And of that part of the country, you play in the ACC where there's your schedule's always going to be good enough to get you into the playoffs. 
but nobody's really going to be a threat to you, especially defensively. They don't really play that, that good a defense in the ACC. So I, I don't know why he would leave that to come to Houston, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's a great answer. So let's talk a little bit about the Jacksonville Jaguars-Houston Texans matchup this week. Uh, the Jaguars so far this year are 1-3 and three against the spread. The Texans are 0-4 against the spread. First, is this the first time in, in NFL history where a coach has been fired and that team is a six-point favorite heading into their game? That is a great question I had not considered. It's really funny. I, you know, a couple of weeks ago when the Bears were playing my Falcons, they were undefeated, but they were still like a three-and-a-half-point dog to a team that hadn't won a game yet. And I was wondering the same question, has this ever happened before? That is a really good question. And I think it just goes to show you the narrative surrounding his era here in Houston. It's just a breath of fresh air. And at the end of the day, even though we said earlier, he has not been playing up to the standard that we're used to him playing. When you have Deshaun Watson on the field, you feel like you always have a chance. You just do. So I think Romeo Cornell is probably going to turn him loose. He seems like a player's coach like a guy that just kind of goes with the flow and probably listens to his players a little bit more and maybe what they want to do a little bit more. That's kind of the vibes I get from him uh, more so than Bill O'Brien, who was just tyrannical and didn't even know how to delegate any sort of power. He had to, he had to micromanage everything. Yeah. Romeo Cornell is kind of the opposite. And I think he's going to cut him loose. I think he's probably going to just let him cook. And I totally think that the Texans are going to win this game. They have to, because if they don't, then we got some bigger problems on our hand. And now you start to question the passion and the drive of the quarterback. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So you really think the Texans Texans are going to come out guns blazing and just put a, uh, a whooping on, on the Jaguars? Absolutely. I'm, I'm not just saying that. I got money on it. Okay. So, yeah. So we're big on Houston minus six. For sure. Uh, a couple of trends just to, uh, just to list them off here. Um, Houston is, uh, we don't care about straight up. Any thoughts on the over-under for this game? Uh, what is over- it? Four and one in Jacksonville's last five. Uh, right now, it's set at fifty-four and a half. You know, well, the ja- Jaguars have yeah. no defense. Yeah. Uh, Gardner Minshew. You know, say what you want about him, but he does throw the ball uh, around pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I think DJ Chark is finally fully healthy. Do you see this hitting the over? I apologize for that background noise. She sounds like she's got her squeaky toy. No, it's all good. Sorry. Uh, but no, I, yeah, Garner Minshew can throw it around and you know what, whenever you play the Houston Texans, you're, you're going to look probably a little bit better than you are. Same with my Atlanta Falcons. I, do you want me to go grab that from her? No, no, it's all good. I love it. If you want, you could bring her on camera. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll grab her in a minute, but uh, yeah, I, it's two, honestly, it's two teams that aren't playing any defense if we're yeah. full disclosure here. So the Texans secondary is hot garbage. Just like the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> secondary is hot garbage. I could definitely see a game where a lot of points are being put on the board. Yeah. Um, what did you say it was again? 54? 54 and a half. I could definitely see a game where one team scores, where the Texans score, I don't know, 30, 34, 36, and the Jags score 26. I can totally see that. So I, I wouldn't blame anybody for taking the over in that. Then again, you know, the Jags, they can run the ball a little bit better than the Texans can. Yeah. And if they got a lead, they might just do – nah, it's going to be a shootout. Yeah, go with the over. I talked okay, myself so into it. we got Houston minus six and the over. For sure. Uh, like you mentioned before, you are a big Atlanta Falcons fan. Before we dive into that game, how does a 
how does someone from Houston become a Falcons fan? Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Houston. Um, but uh, was it back whenever in high school, I think it was, I lived in Atlanta for almost four years. Okay. And so the very first football games, uh, baseball games, everything, the very first anything that I went to was Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Braves. And so just kind of by default, um, I just kind of became a Falcons fan. And Michael Vick was there, and he was, he was hot. He was all the rage. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I'm just, that. I'm just laughing about the dog in the background. I think it's hysterical. Yes, they're crazy. Um, they're, so- they're other mama's home. She just got home <laughs> from the store, so they're going crazy. Y'all go no, in the it, it, It's great. Um, so how are the Falcons favored uh, heading into this game against Carolina? I, I, I understand Carolina is a rebuilding team. Uh, but Matt Rule seem, seems to have uh, built a solid uh, foundation and philosophy with the Panthers. They seem to be playing well and playing together, even without Christian McCaffrey. Falcons are such a joke this year. Sorry to say that to you. I hope you yeah, no, they are on me. Um, they are. How are no, the Falcons I believe you. favorite uh, heading into this? How much are they favored by? Forgive me. We, we did our PicksWise uh, sports betting show yesterday. We, we recorded mm-hmm. it. But we did not touch that game at all, period. So I don't know what they're favored by. So it, it opened at three and a half, and now it's down to two and a half for the Falcons. And, wow. and you know what? I, and not to answer my own question here, but, you know, the Falcons do have a lot of, lot of uh, star potential. I think it's like they have 14 first-round picks this year, which is just insane. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, okay, like, why are their first 14 first-round picks? Like, obviously, they were let go by their other teams. Right. And, yeah, now that they added Fowler, yeah, for sure. And I'm just looking at the Falcons' schedule. So all, they had that terrible loss to uh, Chicago, which I took Chicago. I thought that was a loss the whole game, and I don't know how big Dick Nick how big Dick Nick did at the end, but <laughs> he pulled yeah. it off. Uh, the Cowboys' loss was, I think, even worse than the Chicago loss. That onside kick was just embarrassing. And yeah. the Seattle loss in Week One, I really have no info about that game. Um, yeah, so just your thoughts on the Falcons and what a mess they are and how do they turn that ship around? Yeah, they. I, as far as them being the favorite in this game, I guess you just have to go off of big star name and potential, right? So Julio Jones, right? Russell Gage, if he's healthy, that dude can pop off. And, you know, he's one of the better gadget players, I think, in the league. Um the offensive line, when healthy, they're good. They're not healthy, though. The whole team's banged up. The secondary's banged up. I, I don't really know how they're favored, especially after what you saw the Panthers do to the Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm. So, it, I, you just – I guess it's because they can put so many points on the board. You know, offensively, offense is not the problem. It's defense. So, it's – I get I'm, – I'm actually very surprised about that, to be honest with you. But, yeah, it is a shit show in Atlanta – and Dan Quinn, I promise you, promise you, promise you, promise you, he will be fired. But Arthur Blank is not the type of guy to fire him in the middle of the season. If that was going to happen, he would have fired him last year before they had their bye week. And then they decided to come back after their bye week and go 6-2, and two, beat the 49ers and the Saints, and look like the team that we all thought that they could be. Right. Um, the secondary's trash. Dan Quinn, I, I don't understand. Clearly, we, can't, we can no longer credit him anymore for the, the Legion of Boom in Seattle, right? Like, clearly that wasn't him. We all thought it was him, but he put that together. But clearly it's got to be, what's his name, uh, John Schneider, their GM, or Pete Carroll. Because he or the cannot players. It could have just been the players. I guess it could have been, you know, but they were, 
whoever put them together was genius because they were all defensive backs. A lot of them were a lot bigger than a lot of teams like to go with. Right, Maybe physical. slower, yeah. slower, you know, Long 40 point. times and all that stuff. But whoever got them and put that together knew what they could do, and it, and it worked out amazingly. Um, clearly it wasn't Dan Quinn, but he's going to go. And I, it's just – you're right. It is, it is a shit show, and it's, it's depressing, and it's sad. And this team has never, ever, ever came back since blowing a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl. And I didn't know that something like that could carry over. I never would have believed it. So many people have asked me over the past year since then, you know, oh, they, do you think the team just never got over it because it's Dan Quinn's team? And I'm like, no, they're professionals. There's a lot of new players. They drafted a lot of new players. They got new players for agency. These dudes are not still thinking about that, right? I, I, I take it back. Maybe they are. I don't know. But it's, it's got to go. You got to blow everything up. Blow it all up. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And before we transition to our best bets of the week, just take a, take a quick moment and admire just how great and what a beast Julio Jones is. Yeah, it's nice. I, you know, you, for his Hall of Fame campaign, you wish that he maybe got a little more touchdowns on, on the numbers. But people who are watching the game know what he is. And he's, he's just, I, you know, that's one of the few times in history where I can say that a team can look back in retrospect and be happy that they sold their soul to draft a player because mm-hmm. uh, they did sell their soul basically to move up and get him. Um, but yeah, he's fantastic. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really angry to be honest with you. I'm really angry at um, the GM and you know what the owner, at the end of the day, the buck stops with Arthur blank. I'm really sad that we have squandered the talent that is Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Yeah. I'm pissed off about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Let's uh, talk about some of the games heading into this weekend. Uh, we are recording this on Thursday. Uh, it's going to come out tomorrow, Friday, the 9th. Any project- projections, excuse me, um, for the Thursday night game between the Bucks and the Bears? And remember, the, uh, if you're wrong, everyone will know about it. Are you talking uh, – oh, yeah, they are. It's uh, Tom Brady and Nick Foles. That's right. Yeah, I got predictions. Um, I actually put money on this as well. I have – I think the last I checked were the Bucks they favored by five or six. Um, so the, there's actually been a crazy line movement. I'll pull it up right now. Uh, I, I think it's down to almost three points. Oh, the Bucks are actually up three nothing. So it is at – oh, it's at four. But four, okay. it, it, it opened up at five and a half. I saw it all the way down to three and a half, and now I guess it's up to four. Um, so, yeah, who do you see taking this one? Yeah, I definitely see um, the Buccaneers taking it. Mm-hmm. And I think on my parlay, I had a parlay today, so I'm just waiting on that one to come through for me. I had the Astros winning. I had the Braves winning. Oh, nice. And I had – I'm so sorry. And I had the Buccaneers winning three fifty dollars wins you like two twenty, so I couldn't pass up on that. Yeah, um, but no, yeah, I definitely have the the Bucks covering six. Um, I don't even think it's going to be close. I don't believe in Nick Foles outside of playing for the Eagles because what he seems to do coming in as backup for them is very bizarre to me. But he ain't never done shit anywhere else. I said for I said for a fact last week's game, um, the Bears versus the Colts, his very first start right with the Bears. I said, lock of the century, book it, put a paycheck on it. The Bears will win that game. And sure, it's sure, I'm sorry, the Colts will win that game. Yep. And sure enough, they did. Uh, this is they didn't situation. just win. They absolutely right. dominated that game. It wasn't even close. Absolutely. And I don't think that much of Phillip Rivers to no. say that. But it was just because it's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But here's the thing that we know. And I had Sean Salisbury on the show 
uh, on our PixWise show yesterday that I do with Jeff Reinbold. And um, Sean agreed with me that Tom Brady takes things personally. We should know that by now, right? And, and I, I always bank on a Tom Brady game after he's lost a game to come back and for sure book it 100% going to win the next one, right? Well, in this situation, he didn't lose last week's game, but he's human. And if you think that that Super Bowl loss to Nick Foles isn't in his head, because he could have had seven. He should have had seven. Right. If you think that's not in his head, you're crazy. This dude takes things personally. And I think him and Bruce Arians is the type of coach to feed and fuel that fire. He will totally feed right into that. That's the type of guy Bruce Arians is. Um, he's not the type of coach to go, don't think about it. It's just another game. Business as usual. Stay focused. That's not him. He's going to be like, dude, Nick Foles ain't shit. You're going to come out and you're going to show him who's boss. And I, I do believe that that's what's going to happen. I think, I think Tom Brady's going to have a hell of a game. And the Bears' defense is overrated, in my opinion, anyways. So, nah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I, close. I, I think I agree with you, uh, at least for yeah. most of that. We'll find out by <laughs> in a couple hours as well as when this gets released. Uh, we'll have our answer. Um, okay, so heading into Sunday, uh, are there any games that you are looking forward to? Any games that you consider locks for the day? Locks of the day. Yeah, we had a bunch on our show, and I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now. Do you mind if I pull up the – Yeah, do your thing. If you want, I, I can list off my first lock. Yeah, go for I'll it. Get your thoughts on it. Um, I think the Rams are absolutely going to kill the Washington football team. It's Ooh. going to be a slaughterhouse. Uh, the Rams were disappointing last week against the Giants. It was a bit of a sleepy game. Um, it was an, only an eight-point game, 17-9. to nine. I'll be completely honest. I ended up taking a nap during that game. Sorry. But just reading the stat, um, Dwayne Haskins is benched. Kyle Allen is named the new starter. In his yeah. last seven starts, Kyle Allen is 0-7 uh, oh straight up and 1-6 against the spread and has lost by an average of 14.71 points per game. Um, the Rams and Sean McVay have a very efficient and effective offense. Chase Young, I think, is still hurt, so he'll be inactive. Washington's young. They're still growing Rams by 85 points. Yeah, no, I'm, I agree with you a million percent on that one. Uh, Kyle Allen, talking again about my, my alma mater, University of Houston, um, he transferred there. I think it was from Arizona. Cause, so he was like the number one. He was like a five-star recruit coming out yeah, of high Yeah, he was a top prospect. Yeah, he was huge. And he couldn't do shit against Pac-12 defenses, which are hot garbage. It's about as good as Big 12 defenses. So then he transfers, because he's losing his starting role there, transfers to the University of Houston, and then can't keep his starting job there. So I was so surprised whenever he chose to leave a year early out of college and, and go and enter the NFL draft. I remember I was shook by that. I was like, are you kidding me? Nobody's going to draft you. Bro, you're trash. But... He ended up on teams regardless. I think he had a game where he got the start, and I want to say he came in and threw four touchdown passes. It was like his first or second start, and I was like, maybe I was wrong about this guy. And since then, yeah, nothing trash. So I a million percent agree with you. They're going to get wrecked. Um, another lock I have for you. Yeah, let's hear it. The Steelers are going to – honestly, I fear for Carson Wentz's life in this game against that pass rush. <laughs> With the protection that he has, or dare I say the lack thereof, mm -hmm. um, Carson Wentz, man, not been playing his best ball this year. The, he, Philly fans are insane. Like, they win a game last week, and suddenly 
oh, we're, we're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to the Super Bowl. Because somehow with like one win and a tie, they're sitting at the top of the NFC East. But I digress. My point is Philly is trash. And Carson Wentz, I don't know what's happening there. But they can't protect him for shit. They, they, the running backs are always injured, whatever. I, the Steelers, they have one of the best pass rushes in the league, one of the best defenses in the league. And I really, truly fear for his life. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the backup that they drafted come in over there in, in Philadelphia. But Yeah, but right now on mybookie.ag, I'm seeing the Steelers are favored by seven. That's a lock. Um, I think the Cardinals are a lock against the Jets. Adam Gates so probably That's another fired. tough one. I, I'm really glad you bring that up. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to cut you off. No, um, go ahead. Just this one trend that's really uh, eye-popping to me, and yes, that there's been a lot of turnover with the Jets. They are incredibly hurt, but New York is 4-1 against the spread in their last five games as a home underdog. Without the fans, that number is a little inflated. I'm not sure if it really means anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the Jets last week against the Broncos, and they completely fucked me over with the Melvin uh, Melvin Gordon touchdown run at the end. It scares yeah. me. I'm not going to lie. I, I love the Cardinals. I think they're fun. I think they're exciting. But I think they just have a lot of, um, what's the right term, a lot of public backing without necessarily the numbers showing it. Um, but, yeah, I think the Cardinals will will smoke them. I, I'll, I'll agree with you. Yeah, I would – you know, that's a game – I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm thinking about the last time I actually, like, paid attention to a Jets game, and it was the Denver Broncos game. So I had money. It was, like, Thursday night football, I think. Mm-hmm. And – um yeah, I, I remember they also – they screwed me over in betting-wise. But, again, that was against the the Broncos. That I mean, they're, they're – I don't know. Defensively, I, I don't feel like, – they have so many injuries and stuff. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that it was that close. But, well, their, their third-string quarterback was in. Right, right. Vaughn Miller's why, out. Uh, yeah. They're stud – I shouldn't say stud, but they have a cornerback who's really good. The name is completely – um slipping my mind aj boyu i think it's their oh aj boyu yeah ex-texan former texan yeah, exactly vance joseph he pulled him over there that's right yeah that's that's a dude i called a long time ago i remember when he used to be on the practice squad for the texans and there was a lot of injuries to the texans secondary and they would just every once in a while they'd put him in a game for a little bit and like he'd give up a ton of yards but then somehow he would get the only turnover of the game and i was like ah oh, there's something to this kid next thing you know he ends up blowing up and, and being really good but, um, but yeah, I, I, the Cardinals game, I would definitely, I would stay away from the set, from the spread and I would just take a money line and the over of 40, the point, the point total is at 47 right now. What do you think about that one? It seems a little low. Yeah. Cardinals Jets, but at the same time, Joe Flacco is the quarterback for the Jets this game. Oh, you're right. <laughs> that changes everything. Right. So who knows what? performance Joe Flacco is going to give us odds are it's going to be an awful one. Oh um, yeah. He's so I can also see this crazy. game going, you know, being 21 six for Arizona. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That changes everything for me. I don't know why I was thinking it was Sam Darnold. I'm clearly not on my P's and Q's today. I, <laughs> I might actually touch that spread. Who knows? <laughs> um, another game I have that's really interesting to take a look at is the uh, Kansas city chiefs versus Las Vegas Raiders. I almost said mm-hmm. Oakland. Um, Chiefs are Two three and one. Secondaries. Yeah, um, Kansas City is three and one against the spread, and Vegas is two and two. And it's funny you bring up good secondaries because the under is actually seven and one in Kansas City's last eight divisional games, and the under between these two teams has 
hit seven out of nine times in the last uh, nine meetings. So Kansas City and the under is my little uh, parlay for this one. Interesting. I'm seeing it on on my bookie. I'm seeing a uh, 12 points. So the Raiders are 12 point dogs. Yeah, that's well, a lot. That's a I lot think for the an NFL are game. Dog shit. <laughs> they are. They are. But you don't think that they'll cover it all? I, I think they could as well. The Raiders uh, play like they're still playing stuck in the 1980s. They run the ball first and second down, and then Derek Carr will always hit his uh, his um, his check down throw for four yards on third down. <laughs> so I, I do see the Raiders holding the ball a lot, keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm overthinking that and over uh, estimating the Raiders. So yeah, I can see the Raiders keeping it close. Yeah, the only thing, if, if I'm going to put money on it, and I probably will, I normally don't do my NFL lineup, you know, most of my NFL games, parlays and stuff until the morning of. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I decide to put, put that one in there, I would just probably go money line. Unless the spread keeps growing, I don't like 12-point spread. I don't like that at all. Like, I'm, I have a couple of games this week in, uh, in college football. Like, the spreads have been insane. So One of them, I can't remember what team it is. But I think they're playing BYU, and normally I don't bet against the Mormons, okay? <laughs> like, they have God with them. I don't know why. I've always screwed myself in the past whenever I bet against Mormon teams. But I there's, like, a 35-point spread, and I'm just like, hell no, I'm taking the dog to cover that. And I did it last week. I took three games where the smallest differential was 21 points. There was, like, a 21, 27, and a 31-point spread. I took all of them, and I hit the three-team parlay for a lot of money, so that was – Great, but I in professional football, I'm just like, ugh. So if that grows, I might, I might go with it. But otherwise, I just take money line Chiefs because you know the Chiefs are gonna win. Yeah. Um. You brought up college. Any games you like heading into Saturday? Um. I like Georgia to beat Tennessee. I'm really intrigued by the Miami Clemson game. Yeah. Really, really, really intrigued. Derek King played at my school. Uh, mm-hmm. Fantastic. At watching him thrive and be a Heisman candidate over there. It at a in Florida. Uh, and um, in Miami, sorry, okay. in Miami is kind of like uh, when the person you're dating like leaves you for like a hotter, younger, richer woman, okay. and then you say, you know what? I'll always, I'll always cheer for you. We'll always be friends. I want the best for you. But like, really, you're sitting back and you're like lurking on their Instagram, and you're <laughs> like, fuck them. That's how I feel about about Derek King, man. He left us for the hotter prettier richer woman and he's thriving in life and we're stuck here with clayton tune and fucking hillbilly head coach like oh whatever i digress but no i like <laughs> i like georgia i like georgia to beat tennessee for sure um the the clemson miami one i would take the over whatever it's at right now it's definitely. at 63 oh jesus christ that's a lot but yeah, it's college. You know what? Like a lot of during with the limited offseason and training camp, I guess no offseason in college football, limited training camp in, in college football. Um, quarterback is still throwing the ball to the wide receivers where the defense mm-hmm. really isn't practicing their their tackling and their defensive approach with uh, uh, just with COVID and, and this whole shit show and the slowdown of training camp. So I, I can see the overhitting uh, without a doubt. Um, yeah. Besides those be two, anything, anything else that pops out to you? Um, can I go back to the NFL? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. This was, uh, my, on our show, we do a a dog of the week and my dog of the week is the chargers to cover seven and a half against the saints. They're seven and a half point dogs to the saints. Mm 
And I love, love, love the Chargers to cover this. I think Justin Herbert is looking like the truth, and he has turned me into a liar. I did not have high expectations for him at all, and he's totally making me a liar. And the defense is good. Uh, they seem to be able to run the ball with whoever the hell they want. It's, it's random. You don't want their – you know, in fan, whenever it comes to fantasy, you might get screwed, but they're going to run the ball nonetheless. Um, they pushed the Chiefs. The, the closest we've seen the Chiefs get pushed in a long time, took them into overtime, and they held the Chiefs, I believe, in regulation whenever they played the Chiefs. I want to say it went into overtime at 19 and 19. I think the Chiefs just ended up scoring 21 points in that game. So but anyways, from a couple weeks ago? Yeah, from like two weeks ago, right? I think the final score was 23 to 20, but I okay. could be It went wrong. into overtime, right. and I believe at the end of regulation, I think it was 19 and 19. But anyways, my point is they held the Chiefs to somewhere in the 20s. That is amazing to me that, that, that their defense could do that. And Drew Brees has not been the Drew Brees of the past. He not says he's not injured, but watching him try to throw the ball further than like five yards is painful. Mm-hmm. It just it, – it looks like he's really struggling out there. Uh, the defense – I mean, the Saints defense is always going to be good, but they're, I don't think that they're as good as we thought they were going to be. I think this is a much closer game than what Vegas thinks. Seven and a half points is too much. I think the Chargers cover. I don't expect them to win the game, but I think that they cover. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, the trends definitely back you up. Um, L.A. is 9-3-2 against the spread in their last 14 games as an underdog, and New Orleans is 4-10 against the spread in their last 14 as home favorites. So L.A. uh, Chargers to cover that one. I'm actually going to circle that game. That's a little interesting. Uh, Something that – that uh, makes me a little bit scared about this one is that LA just has a ton of injuries. Uh, yeah. Derwin Eckler's James, out, I Melvin think. Ingram, Austin Eckler, uh, list goes on and on, but yeah, I do like LA to cover. Um, before we talk about your famous tattoo bet, is there any other games you want to go over? Um, let me see. Let me see. Actually, do I got one last anything? thing. It's not necessarily a game, but something I'll give you uh free range to talk about sure. um yeah we just can't let bill o'brien get off too uh easy on this podcast he has the worst chin in all of the nfl correct oh yeah it's painful it looks like it hurts <laughs> like it looks like it hurts right it's like whoa who did a bullet get lodged in there or like what the hell it yeah, is really bizarre it is really bizarre and the memes the memes around that chin are never ending just google you know anybody listening google Bill O'Brien's chin, and you will see some funny shit. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll let you think about it. There's another game, um, but let's transition to our next topic. On Twitter, people can find you, by the way, at GameDayOJ. Um, your pinned tweet right now says, quote for quote, if the Atlanta Falcons lose to the Chicago Bears today, I will get a tattoo of Ludacris's face on my body, and I'll do it on Twitter live. couple questions. Why? First of all, yeah. And two, has this happened yet? And is it going to happen? Okay. Um, it is going to happen. Yeah. I have a weird thing about flaking out on bets. So it's definitely going to happen. Why did it happen? So there's this guy that I've never met in person. He lives in Pennsylvania. I think it's Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But we've been in several like Facebook sports groups together for years. And we've kind of just developed it's like a friendly, almost like a brother and sister, kind of like we tug at each other. We, you know, we, he's a, a Redskins fan for some reason. Um, and 
And we, we fight, we go back and forth, we make bets with each other, whatnot. And um, yeah, we made a bet that if they lost, I took the bet because I was so absolutely 100,000 million percent certain that it wasn't a risk. So why not take the bet? The Falcons, man, the Bears are just gonna, Mitchell Trubisky, he can't keep up offensively with the Falcons. Like, screw our, our shitty defense. It's fine. It's whatever. He cannot keep up with Matt Ryan. Well, he couldn't keep up with Matt Ryan. So what happens? They bring in Nick Foles, which I was not expecting to happen. Otherwise, I honest to God would have thought twice about this bet. And they bring him in, and then they, he rallies the troops. I think he scores three touchdowns, and they, you know the story. We, we blow another freaking lead. And I'm, I'm just so – I remember just sitting there. I was at a bar watching the game, and I was just shook. Because now I'm just thinking, I have to get Ludacris's face tattooed on my body. How the fuck am I going to do this? And mind you, it's not just any Ludacris. It's Ludacris from his album. It's called Word of Mouth. And he has, yeah, he's got this big ass afro. And he's got like a pit bull in front of him. And the pit bull like has a grill, I think, in his mouth. And he's the pit bull smiling. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have to get the pit bull, thank God. But he specifically said... It can't be like clean, polished, taper fade Luda. It can't be clean, polished, you know, cornrow Luda. It's got to be Afro Luda with like the golden tooth in his (laughs) mouth and stuff from the word of mouth album. Now, now he has came back and said, I'll throw you a bone, but I don't know if this is actually throwing you a bone or not. He goes, but I'm, I'm good at, cause he knows how much people troll me online, uh, constantly you know on uh what is it on uh may uh march 28th i get tagged in a million different tweets and facebook messages about how it's yeah yeah, 28 right so i'm gonna throw you a bone if you don't want if you're not gonna get the you don't have to get the ludicrous afro if you don't want that you can get 28 to 3 tattooed on your body and i know that to the normal person the normal human being anybody would say 28 to 3 you obviously go with that right like that's, that's worse to me, it hurts my soul. That's the only time I've ever cried over a sporting event. Oh. Like I legit had like three tears and I fought back a million more. But I was at a Super Bowl party and yeah, I, I couldn't do it imagine. in front of people. It was the worst. It, it was, <laughs> this sounds so dumb, like first world problems, right? Uh, but it sounds horrible, but that was one of the worst emotional feeling moments that I can recall in my life. And I've had some pretty low lows. But like, that's up there, that's gotta be like top 15. Um, and it was horrible. So do I want 28 to three tattoos? Like it hurt me so bad that the idea of getting Afro ludicrous actually almost sounds kind of better to me than 28 to three. And here's, here's, the other, here's the other loophole here, okay? We never, ever, ever said how big it had to be or where it had to be. That was my so, next question. So I have a genius idea and credit, it's actually when my friends came up with the idea. But this is a strong possibility. One time, uh, whenever I was much younger, like 19 years, 18 or 19 years old, I had this job that did hair follicle testing, like drug testing, right? And I went and got my hair follicle test. And I was really surprised at how much of my hair the woman cut out. Like, honestly, I don't think she needed to cut as much out of my hair as she did, but she did it. And <laughs> she was kind of like yanking my head around and stuff. I was like, all right, bitch. But she, she literally like, she took, she sectioned my hair like this and she seriously took out a huge, like a circle about that big. Cut, cut it out of the back of my hair to the point where I could, it felt like a dude's hair back here. But fortunately I have so much hair that you can cut that chunk out of my hair and still not notice it. 
right? Whenever my hair is laid over it. So are you saying you're going to get a tattoo on the back of your head? I am strongly considering it and nobody will ever know. But whenever I do it, I promised everybody that I would do it on Twitter live and Facebook live and all that stuff. So I have until November 30th to get the tattoo. That's the deadline, whichever one I choose. And it will be live and um, everybody can laugh at my misery. That, that is amazing. I, I look forward to seeing that video and I'll definitely uh, be hopping on to that live stream. Okay, our final segment here, uh, we've kind of gone over our time. And again, thanks so much for hopping on the show. Uh, the segment is called Three Favorites and we'll go rapid fire. Uh, favorite NFL player? Kurt Warner. Why? Um, I don't know. He was just uh, the first quarterback that I really fell in love with watching because I told you I like the Cardinals. Um, and when I was really young, when Houston didn't have a team, that's who I first followed before I moved to Georgia. Um, seems like a really good guy. I read his book. Seems like a fantastic human being just yeah. in general and what he's done with his wife and her kids that he's adopted as his own. He has all these foundations, chairs. And not only that, he took my Cardinals to a Super Bowl. I mean, it looked like they had the win. I think it was like 07, 08, 09, somewhere around there. Yeah, Pittsburgh and uh, was it San Antonio Holmes had yeah, that, that amazing catch. That amazing catch. Yeah, somebody always has an amazing fucking catch against my favorite teams and blows everything for me. But I digress. He just, I don't know. He's just always been my favorite. Yeah, he has a really cool story just coming from Arena Football yeah. League, bagging groceries to make some extra money. Yeah, yep. I love that answer. Okay, next question. Favorite NFL memory? Favorite, not worse. So we don't need to talk about the 28-3 loss. Let's be positive. Gosh, there's not that many good ones for me and my teams. My favorite NFL memory would probably just have to be, be, I guess, the moment that I – it's weird. Whenever you ask me my favorite memory, I I keep going back to U of H. I told you whenever we stormed the field after beating – That's technically football. Oh, no, I asked NFL. Yeah, you said NFL. Oh, probably, I guess, whenever I found out my Falcons were going to the Super Bowl that would be held here in Houston. Okay, mind you, this is not just my favorite team in the Super Bowl that we blew the lead to. It happened in the city that I live in. I was like five feet away from the damn stadium. Like it was all right there. It was right there. And and yeah, but um, probably the moment I guess I found out that they were going to the Super Bowl. Cool. Okay, last one. Favorite NFL game day snack. And we don't need to do NFL. This count for college as well. Favorite football game day snack. Wings. Hot wings. Yeah, good. Hot wings. From Pluckers. Pluckers. Yeah, lemon pepper wings from Pluckers. Never heard of Pluckers. What what is that? I you know what I think they're only here in Texas. Um, they started off in like Austin, but anyways, they they just make really good wings. I don't know. They're a good size. They always, they're consistent with the quality and they're lemon pepper. Most places you go, it it's just like a like a dry rub, I guess, that they put on the wings. Yep. There theirs is like gooey and juicy and I don't know, but it's it's they have a spicy lemon pepper. It's just I don't know. Sounds it's delicious. off the chart. And they have the best batter on their fried pickles that's good cool if i'm ever down in houston i'll check it out okay rachel thank you so much for hopping on Uh, once again just tell the audience uh your social media handles and where they can find your content yeah you can find me on instagram facebook uh twitter all that good stuff um at game day oj and i actually just started a tiktok as well so you can find me on there too it's at game day oj for all my handles awesome thank you rachel thank you so much Thanks again to Rachel for coming on and having such a fun interview. Now let's talk to our friend Ryan Aber about the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoman.com, and you can find his work there at the, at the Oklahoma.com. Ryan Aber, thanks so much for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me today. 
Uh, a couple of things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk about last week's game against Iowa State and then preview a bit of the Texas game uh, coming up, the Red River shootout. But before we start that, I heard a rumor online that when you eat cereal, you don't add any milk to it. <laughs> Can you confirm or deny this rumor? That is absolutely correct. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not a milk drinker, and, and that, doesn't, uh, that translates into cereal. I like my cereal dry. And uh, apparently Jason Kersey doesn't appreciate that, but that's all right. We're all a little bit different. So just one quick follow-up to that. What what cereal do you eat? Uh, Usually lately it's either like Special K chocolate or or strawberries in there or uh, Raisin Bran Crunch. Those are my go-tos. Okay, they're all great choices. (laughs) But I don't don't like soggy cereal. I'm not a big milk fan, so uh, that's where we are. Honestly, I, I, I'm I'm cool with that. It's you seem to be okay with it, and that's all that matters. As long football, so a, another disappointing game for Oklahoma last week. Tough loss to Iowa State. The first thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, Spencer Rattler's performance. He didn't look too bad just watching on TV. He seemed polished. He seemed to make the throws he had to make, um, except for the interception at the end of the game. You know, just to go over his numbers quickly, he was 25 for 36, 300 yards two throwing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and like I mentioned, the interception at the end. Uh, just his, your general thoughts on his performance last week. Yeah, I thought Spencer Rattler played really well, and, and he wasn't perfect, obviously, with the interception late, and, and that cost OU a chance to get the comeback there. But he was still really good and, and certainly good enough to win, and he's been fantastic uh, through three games. <clears throat> OU – uh, has been a long time since they've had a quarterback who's had to go through any kind of growing pains with them. And uh, it's a little bit different for Sooners fans. And uh, I think they sort of expect perfection at that position. And it's hard not to after you've had to run a quarterback play that OU has had over the last five years. But uh, there's a lot of problems with, with Oklahoma on both sides of the ball, their, their defense up and down their inability to, to run or, or get, uh, get really good blocking on the offensive line. The quarterback play is not one of them, though. Spencer Rattler has been fantastic, and uh, there's, there's nothing that I've seen through these three games that makes me think anything less of what I thought of Spencer Rattler uh, a month ago. I definitely agree with that. Um, next thing I want to talk to you about was the lack of production from the wide receivers. Uh, they didn't have too many big plays. There's no receivers over 100 yards as well as there's that massive drop towards the end of the game where I can't remember the receiver off the top of my head who. Yeah, I think uh, it was uh, Obi Obiallo, if I'm not mistaken. Right, just uh, such a rookie mistake. The fact that he couldn't hold, hold that in, that really changed the momentum for the Sooners. Uh, that was third down at the time. The Sooners had to kick a field goal, if I recall correctly, and, and that really stopped the momentum. How, how, how much uh, is OU struggling right now with the lack of production from their wide receivers? Yeah, it's certainly a concern, and I, I think uh, Marvin Mims is one of the bright spots. We've seen some really good things out of him uh, through the early part of the season, but we, we've seen several guys drop uh, passes, not only Obi Obiallo the other day. Theo Howard has dropped some. He's really experienced. Charleston Rambo uh, has dropped a couple, including the one potential touchdown pass in their opener. They've got to be able to finish those because uh, – this offense isn't as good as it's been the past few years. And uh, I, I'm mainly talking about running the football. Uh, 
So you've got to take advantage of everything you can in the passing game. And when you let situations like that slip away, it makes it much more difficult for a defense that's already behind the gun to, uh, to help you out there. So um, I think they'll be much better once Trajan Bridges comes back. That'll give them some, some depth and a guy that I know they're really excited about, but they've got a couple of really tough games before he's eligible to come back uh, as far as we're aware. And then uh, Jaden Hazelwood, I don't expect to see him back until really late in the season after tearing his ACL in the offseason. But uh, he's a guy who was really valuable to them last year and, and certainly expected big things from him during his second year. So um, they, they've got to figure some things out over there. But Marvin Mims and Austin Stogner especially have been fantastic. Jeremiah Hall has become a, a big-time uh, uh, guy in the red zone for Spencer Rattler to target. But They've got to be able to complete some of those passes downfield. That's one of the things that made this offense so dynamic as they've gone from, you know, you look back, C.D. Lamb, uh, Marquise Brown, D.D. Westbrook, Sterling Shepard. I mean, they've always had that really clear number one guy who could be a game breaker. And, and so far, they haven't had it. Now, uh, you know, a year ago at this time, C.D. Lamb, while we knew he had the potential to be that and we had seen it before with him, uh, was, was slow going as well. So maybe Charleston Rambo was able to take up that mantle and uh, take it over, but that's yet to be seen. So is Charleston Rambo right now Oklahoma's number one receiver, or is it fair to say that there really isn't a, there really isn't a uh, number one receiver on the squad right now? Yeah, I mean, really right now, I wouldn't say there was. I mean, Austin Stogner's leading them uh, in uh, yards. I can't remember if he's leading them in catches as well, but uh, Stogner's the guy who's been the most active, but he's not going to be a stretch-the-field type of guy. He's the you know tight end uh, and more of a traditional tight end than even Mark Andrews was. But, uh, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's Marvin Mims yet, although he's certainly shown the ability to. Uh, uh, Charleston Rambo hasn't taken over that spot. Uh, Theo Howard, I, I think, is going to be a guy who's going to be dependable for them, but he hasn't uh, taken that role either. So it's a little bit different. They don't have that clear number one guy right now. And I, I think unless it's Rambo or, heck, unless Mims just uh, grabs it by the reins and, and gets to be that guy, I'm not so sure they find one this year. That's tough news for Oklahoma fans. It has to be uh, hard to – go through this year with the, with the production over the past couple of years, just Oklahoma bombing the ball downfield or the fact that they can't connect on any big plays or limited amount of big plays has to be frustrating for OU fans. Uh, one last question about the offense before we get into the defense. What exactly, uh, where does Jeremiah Hall fit on this team? Is he a fullback? Is he a tight end? Is he a hybrid uh, for this offense? Where, where do you see uh, Oklahoma using him moving forward? Well, I think he's all of those things. And that's what makes Oklahoma's, offense and Lincoln Riley's offense and heck it was a big part of Bob Stoops's offense when when uh when he was in charge they love to move that fullback I mean he's a, he's a fullback at heart but they love to move that fullback around and do so many different things and and really when they got uh, Trey Miller uh, a few years ago and, and Dimitri Flowers he was, he was unreal Trey Miller oh yeah Millard was great I mean heck you know was we're staring down here at OU Texas you think uh, you know, the one of the biggest memories for me in OU Texas in recent years is Trey Miller, uh, the leap there 
that he made over a Texas defender a few years ago. So, uh, but Dimitri Flowers was sort of the best personification of what they want that role to be. He was, uh, could play anywhere. I mean, heck, he, he lined up at tailback for them against Iowa State one year when Mixon uh, was suspended and, and P. Ryan was hurt and ran for over 100 yards. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure that Jeremiah Hall is, is that level of guy, but he's able to play all over the field. And when you've got a guy who can do that, you can keep the same personnel on the field and give defenses so many different looks. So that makes it you much much more difficult to defend because you can always pick out mismatches. You know, I heard Tom Herman talking the other day, and he talked about how OU only had two receivers on the field most times, and that's true because they have guys like Austin Stogner, who can be a tight end, a fullback, an H-back, a wide receiver, and uh, Jeremiah Hall, who can do all those things as well. And it's just a nightmare for defenses to figure out. And, uh, you know, they had a great one a couple years ago when we talked more of the tight end type of guy in Mark Andrews that was such a matchup nightmare. And, heck, we're seeing that continue on to the NFL where he's, uh, he's having great success. Yeah, Andrews is just an absolute stud and complete beast out there in the NFL. Although he, he, had, he did have a couple of bad uh, poor drops the other game uh, last week. Uh, okay, let's talk about the Oklahoma defense. Uh, before we talk about Ronnie Perkins to get an update on his status, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're one of, uh, college football's greatest beat writers. Uh, I love your articles online. And you wrote a great article about the uh, struggles from last week against Iowa State. And you touched on, look, if, if I Google right now and search recipe for a bad defense, I'll find coverage breakdown, lack of, lack of consistent pass rush, costly penalties, and poor tackling. And Oklahoma covers the, the ground there four for four. Uh, their performance against Iowa State was just abysmal. It was a complete joke. Um, how how does Oklahoma fix this moving forward? Well, I mean, they're clearly capable of fixing it. I mean, heck, you look just a, a couple weeks ago at, at the first uh, two and a half, really more than two and a half, almost three full quarters against Kansas State. That defense was fantastic. And, and heck, if you look at the numbers right now, they're still solid, except on the turnover uh, thing and except if you look at the advanced analytics or tackling things like that they're really low there but this defense is 17 I think it's uh, no 14 overall in total defense so uh, which says one how misleading that stat is but two uh, that this defense isn't as crazily far away as I, I think their perception is but they've got to do everything better they've got to be able to finish they've got to be able to tackle in open space I mean the the, the tackling all night against Iowa State was was horrific. You know, Brendan Radley-Hiles missed one that he could have had behind the line of scrimmage for a loss, and all of a sudden that's a 30, 40-yard gain. They had a couple more of those. Uh, but I, I think as far as short-term recipe for uh, getting this thing back together, one, you get Ronnie Perkins back. Uh, I know you said we'll talk about him, and we will, but uh, a great pass rusher. Uh, Isaiah Thomas has been pretty good filling in for him, but they need a, a more consistent pass rush and need it to come from some different angles. So, uh, you know, maybe they find a way to get Perkins and Thomas on the field together at times. And then their secondary has to play better. You know, for years we've talked about OU's cornerback struggling and those guys really getting exposed. I mean, heck, uh, you know, Parnell Motley, we talk about the roller coasters of the career that he had. Uh, 
Um, he was sort of the poster boy for that. And Zach Sanchez before him. But this year it's been safety play. Their cornerbacks have held up pretty decently well, but their safeties have been uh, – and, and Nickelback at, at Radley Hiles have been pretty horrific. And they've got to fix that. And these are guys that have played a long time. So it's, there's a question mark over whether it's going to be them that can fix it or if they start uh, giving these guys that Alex Grinch brought in to remake this defense, you know, guys like Josh Eaton. Uh, we haven't seen Justin Harrington. We won't this year as he's, as he's hurt. But Bryson Washington, guys like that who are bigger, faster guys, uh, maybe it's a time to give them a, a, a shot out there and, and see if they're ready. Uh, just quickly on Radley Hiles, number 44. He was a top prospect uh, for Oklahoma. I'm not sure if he was officially a five-star recruit. but he Yeah, was he was. A, yeah, he was, he was right a five-star. He definitely is challenged, uh, challenged with his height. Uh, the announcers were kind of picking on him on Saturday night. I'm not sure if you heard it because you were at the game. But uh, they were saying at five foot seven, he's just limited out there. And when he gets caught out of position, he panics. And a lot of his penalties uh, happen that way. When uh, there's one in the uh, in the end zone towards the end of the game where he got beat by one of their taller one of Iowa State's excuse me taller wide receivers and 44 Radley Hiles just completely panic and pa- easy pass interference call. Is it too early to say that he's been a disappointment with Oklahoma? No, not at all. I mean, heck, at, at this point when you're in year three and you're still not able to do those things. And, you know, you had a couple of those guys, you know, uh, Caleb Kelly was really highly thought of when he came in. Obviously there's been a lot of injury issues there with him that have held him back. And, and heck, he started looking like the player. I think a lot of people thought he was uh, late last year when he came back from that, that other injury. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt that Brendan Radley house has been a disappointment there's certainly a lot of talent there. I mean, heck, we see that on the plays he does make, and, and he makes some that just make you go, wow. But he, he also has a penchant for missing tackles for really bad penalties. I mean, heck, the objection against LSU really killed them because they had no uh, depth to speak of. And then they have to throw a, a guy in there who hadn't played all year against one of the best wide receivers in the country and and uh, Joe Burrow just picked on him all day I mean heck most of those uh, touchdowns were on him so um, yeah we'll see if how long Radley Hiles sticks in that position but to this point they haven't been able to fi- figure out anybody else who can step up and play that there was some thought that Trey Norwood would he's uh was held out twice uh, during camp for, for COVID-related reasons. I think both of them were contact tracing. So he had to miss 28 days of practice without ever, ever being sick. And for a guy coming off injury, that was uh, pretty much the end of the chances of him starting. So we'll see now that they're in the season, if they're able to roll somebody else out there. But that's probably the spot where I would say has been the uh, biggest issue for Oklahoma so far. Yeah, and just a quick observation from my coach. Uh, and cross-sport reference as well. For example, in basketball, when uh, one team has a weak defender, the offense will try to isolate one of their best players on that weak defender and really try to bully the man. And just from my coach, it really seems like uh, opposing offenses when Oklahoma plays are doing that with 44 Radley Hiles, and they're, I think they're really uh, exposing him. Uh, quickly on Ronnie Perkins, is he officially back next game? Well, Lincoln Riley still won't say for sure, and uh, sometimes we get to talk to him on Thursdays. We didn't get a chance to do that today, but um, everything that I know is uh, the same as what I'd learned 
last week when we were in Iowa, at Iowa State, and that's that Ronnie Perkins had a suspension. Uh, first of all, there was a window open for an appeal, which was, had previously been closed. I guess if there's new information, uh, they can bring up an appeal again, and then that appeal came through, and there was just some administrative stuff that uh, they were hoping would be wrapped up uh, in time for him to play last week against Iowa State. Since he's been practicing, he's ready to go. They weren't able to get that done, and uh, Ronnie Perkins was on the sidelines. But Ronnie Perkins is going to be back this week, regardless of what Lincoln Riley says, you know, barring a, an injury that I don't know about or things like that. They wouldn't have taken Ronnie Perkins on the road just to be moral support. He was there because they thought he was going to play, and uh, it didn't come through. But that's a big – big boost to a defense that uh, when they were good last year, it was largely because of four guys, Parnell Motley in the back end. We've already talked about Neville Gallimore, uh, Kenneth Murray, and Ronnie Perkins. You know, three of those guys are off in the NFL and and one of them, Ronnie Perkins, they get back on Saturday. So they feel pretty good about uh, the chances of him being a pretty big contributor right off the bat. And such a minor detail, detail, but something that I really enjoyed seeing on the TV screen, um, how involved Ronnie Perkins was on the sideline. Yes, he didn't play. Yes, Oklahoma still lost. But the body language doctor is, is definitely impressed with the fact that Perkins was a cheerleader and he was supporting his teammates. It's just a, something very small that is uh, good to see for the Oklahoma squad. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, Ronnie Perkins was really involved. Heck, the, his teammates have talked about how involved he's been in the defense through this suspension. And that's really helped some of those young guys. I I think you see it in what Isaiah Thomas has been able to do. I mean, heck, OU's uh, really one bright shining spot on defense from that game the other night was Isaiah Thomas with the the strip sack and uh, that gave them a chance to even be in that game. So, um, yeah, Ronnie Perkins has been fantastic. He's, he's a leader on this team. There's no doubt about it. I mean, heck, he's the leader of this defense, and, and getting him back is, is going to be a big lift. Uh, they've just got to figure out uh, the rest of the defense around him to make them more effective. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the turnover battle last week for Oklahoma, a uh, little bit of improvement. It was one and one. OU had the fumble recovery and then Rattler threw the interception at the game. So is that a positive takeaway from – or one of the few positive takeaways from the Iowa State game, the fact that the uh, turnover matchup was even at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. It's a positive being even versus, uh, what, minus three or minus four the week before – minus four. Well, like minus five if you uh, – Yeah, if you count the, stop the fourth down, down one. Yeah. Uh, which was a bad, uh, bad play there without Creed Humphrey out. But uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a positive sign. But they've got to be able to force more more turnovers than that. Uh, Alex Strinch wants two per game. They haven't hit that since uh, you know uh, late last season and uh, don't really show uh, much ability to hit that now. I mean, heck, Pat Fields dropped a couple of interceptions the other night. Uh, Nick Benito. Uh, gets a, another strip sack, and which even without the fumble recovery, Brock Purdy bounced right back into his hands. He was able to pick it up, but he was brought down for a sack. But even without that would have been a great play because that uh, forces Iowa State to punt. Well, they get called for a holding penalty on that, on that play. I think it was Pat Fields that got called for it. It might have been Trey Brown. Can't remember exactly, but 
so Iowa State gets new life, a first down, and they score, uh, you know, within a play or two. So um, they've got to be able to take advantage of the situations when they're presented. And to this point, they haven't been able to do that. So like, let's be real here. This is the final question before we preview the Oklahoma-Texas game. Is Alex Grinch on a short leash? Like, he, they gave up 30-plus points to Kansas State, 37 points to Iowa State. They're not powerhouse offenses by any means. Yes, Brock Purdy is a solid quarterback. Yes, Iowa State and Kansas State do have a solid foundation uh, with their team. But is, is Alex Grinch on the hot seat at all? I wouldn't say so yet, um, especially since we haven't seen his guys come in there and play a ton, uh, specifically in the secondary. But they've got to have some of those young uh, safeties and corners play this year and at least let you feel good about their future. Even if they get beat, if they show off the ability, the size, the speed, the coverage ability, then you can feel a whole lot better about the future of this defense. If they wilt, and if we don't see those guys uh, able to contribute this year, then you start wondering about the future and, and can Alex Grinch turn this around? I mean, this is a great defensive coach. I mean, anybody who can go into to Pullman, Washington and, and turn a defense around with Mike Leach on the other side coaching um, is a good football coach. But, heck, Mike Soups was a good football coach too, and, and look what happened there. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm not yet convinced that Alex Grinch isn't the right guy for the job. But the time for results is, uh, is right now. So let's talk about Oklahoma versus Texas coming up on Saturday. The line right now, I believe it's at 2.5. So there hasn't been any movement uh, with the line as of yet. Are you a little surprised that Oklahoma is favorited uh, heading into this matchup? Uh, you know, I was initially. And then I looked more at Texas. And, and you see a lot of the struggles that they have, which sort of mirror what Oklahoma has had. Um, you know, they're not really good on defense, uh, really downright poor. I think, uh, according to the pro football focus, uh, tackle numbers, uh, there's only one, uh, division one team behind OU in Texas in tackling and that's Vanderbilt that they've really struggled. So OU, uh, has been horrific on defense, but so is Texas. I mean, uh, Texas is, uh, really just a hair away from being one and two themselves, and losing to a Texas Tech team that almost got beat by Houston Baptist. So I don't think they're in any better position than Oklahoma, even though they're ranked, even though they're two and one instead of one and two. Uh, but they've got a lot of things to figure out as well. Now, what they do have is an experienced quarterback who's been around, who is an established leader. There's no doubt that the Texas Longhorns look to Sam Ellinger for inspiration. And I, I think he's given that. He's said the right things over the last week, and especially the other day when he said, hey, I don't want uh, my teammates to like me. If they like me, that's fine. But what I want them to do is respect me and, and hear the message. And uh, his message has been loud and clear that they're, they haven't been good enough. But, you know, we've seen that a lot from Texas. I think one of the things that leads to OU being favored is, one, their history in this game in recent years – and two, the fact that Lincoln Riley has such a track record of success at Oklahoma and Texas doesn't. And, uh, or excuse me, Tom Herman doesn't down there at Texas. They've just had really the one uh, really good year where they, they felt a big OU in the Big 12 title game. So um, 
it's it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. But uh, I actually uh, I don't know if we'll get to any picks or anything, but I did pick OU you know, for all those reasons. So I'm not really surprised when the odds makers uh, put the Sooners ahead. So a couple more questions before uh, we say goodbye to you. And once again, thanks so much for hopping on today. I really appreciate it. Oklahoma's offensive strategy heading into this game. Uh, Last week, TCU really ran the ball down Texas's throat. They didn't throw the ball that well. Uh, TCU's quarterback only threw for, uh, I'm pretty sure it was 230 yards, but they had a couple of running backs who uh, ran the ball effectively. With Oklahoma's lack of running game, how do you think Oklahoma will approach this game offensively? Do you think they'll spread the offense and sling the ball around? Do you think they'll play uh, big boy offense and jam the ball down uh, Texas' throat? Or do you see a, uh, a mix of one and the other? Well, I think it's going to be a mix. And, and you know, that's sort of, uh, again, what makes Lincoln Riley's offense so effective is uh, has been their ability to run the football and do – all of the things that make the air raid and, and make the Mike Leach hell mummy offense uh, so uh, productive, but they've got to be able to do that. So I, I think they're going to, they're going to pass uh, initially. And, you know, you talk so much about, well, we're going to run to set up the pass. I think for OU right now, it's pass to set up the run. If you can uh, have some success in the passing game with uh, Rambo, with Mims, with Stogner, uh, and, and even some of those those uh, shorter routes with a guy like Jeremiah Hall, then maybe you can open things up and make life easier on your offensive line to run block. So, uh, you know, we saw last week against Iowa State, Seth McGowan and TJ Pledger are good players. When they get the ball in, in space, they can make things happen. I, I thought Pledger looked as good against Iowa State as he's looked during his OU career, uh, as short as it's been to this point. But uh, they've got to get better up front. And, and Lincoln Riley t- keeps talking about it's not all the offensive line. It's not all the offensive line. Uh, it might not all be, but a big part of their inability to run the football has been on their offensive line, especially at left tackle with uh, Eric Swenson and, and Anton Harrison rotating in and out. They still haven't settled on one there. And when you can't settle on a left tackle, that makes the rest of your offensive line uh, really difficult to handle. And then the guards, uh, Marquise Hayes and, and uh, Tyrese Robinson, have played a lot of football too, and, and they've been impressive, but they haven't been impressive this year. And um, it, it's just left a lot to be desired and, and really surprising given uh, their track record at that position and given Bill Biedenboe's track record uh, of the offensive line. Do you think Oklahoma will have any problems uh, in this matchup moving the ball? against Texas defense? Oh, I, I, I think they will at times. I, th- I think they're going to be able to move the football. They're going to be able to score a lot of points. The question is how effectively are they going to be able to run the ball? And I, I'm not sure because it, it's sort of a weakness against weakness. I mean, Texas has really struggled, uh, as you mentioned, uh, in some areas defensively. TCU had a lot of success. Texas Tech had a lot of success against them a couple weeks ago, but uh, – OU, while it's put up great offensive numbers, hasn't been able to find that balance yet. So uh, I I think if you're asking me to pick which one is more likely to have success, I would say OU uh, because these are a lot of experienced guys who you know can do it, and surely they're going to start doing it again. But uh, Texas is going to have some victories as well, and OU is just going to have to manage those. Uh, So one last question, and then I'd like to do a quick speed round with you, a segment I have here called your three favorites. Um, Containing Sam Ellinger, 
how do you see Oklahoma uh, containing quarterback Sam in this matchup? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's got to come from different areas than just Ronnie Perkins. I think certainly Perkins is going to be a key to slowing down Sam Ellinger. You know, they, they sacked him nine times last year in this game uh, from a variety of spots. I, I, I think Pat Fields had one of them. They got one of them from, from Neville Gallimore right there in the middle, maybe two, and uh, linebackers as well. So everybody was involved. But the two guys that I'm looking forward uh, to as, as keys to slowing down Sam Allinger, one, Ronnie Perkins coming off the edge. You know he's going to be fired up for this game, having not played since last December in the Big 12 title game. And, and two, uh, Deshaun White. And uh, that middle linebacker is so important to being able to read pass versus run and figure out what you need to do. And uh, this is the time for Deshaun White to really step forward. He's been good, but he hasn't been – you know, Kenneth Murray, uh, be noticed every play, take over games good. And I, I think they're going to need that at least at some point here late in the season. And uh, what better time for it than against one of the best quarterbacks in college football? It really makes you appreciate Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Murray's uh, performance last year. Just the fact that, like you mentioned before, he, you notice him every single play. Uh, even if he ne- didn't necessarily get the tackle, uh, he was there. <laughs> he was yeah. a, a bee just swarming all over the place. Yeah, you know, this is sort of going into the archives a little bit, but you look at that defense last year and, and uh, Kenneth Murray and Parnell Motley, the steps that they took forward from a, a year ago, honestly, I think that's a lot of why I'm still high on Alex Grinch and thinks he's got a chance to turn it around, and I think some other people are as well. Because you see that impact that he can have, and, and, and certainly he impacted those guys in major ways and with this defense, and um, they've got to get other guys who can do it. Right now they don't have a, a middle linebacker who can just go out there and you know, make your eyes pop out on every play like Kenneth Murray's did last year. They don't have the corner. Uh, they can go out and, and absolutely take away the other team's number one receivers, Parnell Motley did so often last year. And uh, that's really showed as teams have been able to, to find ways to pick apart OU's defense. So last thing I have here is a segment I, ha- I call it my three favorites. Uh, we'll do speed round. This can either be related to the actual football game with Oklahoma and Texas inside the Carnival, or it could be the state fair uh, as well. So first one. Favorite food at the Oklahoma-Texas uh, game, either inside the Cotton Bowl or at the State Fair? Well, this is a tough one because there's uh, one of each there. Uh, first of all, the meal that they serve in the press box at, the, at this game every year, and I'm sure it's going to be different this year as everything else is, is a barbecue spread that's uh, fantastic, which includes banana pudding and chocolate pudding afterwards, some, mm. some brisket. Uh, sausage, things like that. It's amazing, and it's one of my favorite things I look forward to every year. Breakfast uh, at the Cotton Bowl, uh, breakfast barbecue at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, so I'll, I'm sure I'll miss that this year. I haven't gotten any confirmation that that's not happening, but don't expect it to. Uh, and then the other thing is after the game, after I'm finished riding, pretty much always I go out to the, the, the State Fair, find a couple things. I try to find one new thing every year to try. And, uh, but always also have to get a Fletcher's corny dog. It's one of the best things about the Texas state fair, the, the, the massive corn dogs, 
made by Fletcher's there, and uh, they're tasty. They do have those this year. They're going to have some Fletcher stands both outside the stadium and inside, so people get to get their fill of those. We'll see if I get to, to pick one of those up, but uh, it's certainly one of the best food days. And, and just talking about the Texas State Fair, one of the best food events uh, of the year. Uh, so unrelated to three favorites, and you don't need to throw any programs under the bus here. You can say next question. <laughs> Are there any press boxes on the road where when they serve you snacks or food, either during or after the game, you just say, you know what, nope, not touching this? Um, you know, actually, Iowa State uh, has been one of them that <laughs> haven't been great. I mean, granted, it's probably as much about my food preferences as anything else. Uh, but, uh, yeah, last week we actually got a box lunch, which was fine, a sandwich that I had no issues with. So I wasn't complaining at all last week. But, um, you know, whatever they give me up there, as long as I can eat it inside of uh, the few dietary restrictions I have, I'm not going to complain too much about it. It's free food. Um, Fair enough. And generally on the road, I get to eat at some, some pretty uh, great places as well as, heck, we – found one of those in Des Moines that's probably become uh, one of, if not my favorite stop in the Big 12. So, um, like I said, I'm not going to complain too much. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fong's Pizza in in Des Moines, which uh, it's Chinese pizza, which (laughs) your first reaction to it is, what in the world is this going to be like? But you get an egg roll pizza and you pick it up and, and shove it in your mouth and it tastes like an egg roll. You get an orange orange chicken pizza or General Tso's uh, chicken pizza, and it tastes exactly like the Chinese dish. So <laughs> it's incredibly well pulled off, and uh, it's just become one of my favorite spots. There's a, there's a few of them in the Big 12, Campisi's in Dallas, uh, Garazzo's in, in Kansas City, along with all the great barbecue places uh, that you've got there. But uh, Fong's might be my favorite in the Big 12. Long's Pizza, there we are. I'll have to check it out one day. Okay, quickly, your two two more favorites. Uh, favorite celebrity you've seen at this game? Oh, um, let's see. It's It's got to be on the Texas side, uh, regardless, although certainly Nathan Folliwell uh, stands out on the OU side. Toby Keats, the guy who's always there at everything. Uh, but uh, on the Texas side, Roger Clemens. I'm a big baseball guy. Okay. Uh, I, I loved his attitude. You can say what you want about the way his career ended. and Former uh, Blue Jay Roger Clemens. All, all of that. But uh, the way the guy attacked things on the mound was fantastic. And then uh, Matthew McConaughey is always uh, entertaining as well, uh, for sure, especially when he's got that uh, burnt orange jacket on. Yeah, definitely. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I love Matthew McConaughey myself. Uh, last question, last favorite uh, your favorite moment uh, from this rivalry it doesn't have to, and it, maybe it's not a favorite moment. It could be a favorite game that uh, stands out to you. Oh gosh. I, you know, I, I think of, uh, I'll give you one, one game and one, uh, one moment. Sure. And the game was 2000. Uh, OU was just entering October and, and there's a lot of uh, hype around what uh, Bob Stoops was able to do there with that program, but that game was really the moment where, uh, where Oklahoma said, hey, we're contending for a national championship this year right now. You know, when they went out and blew the doors off Texas 63-14, to 14, 
that took off really the greatest month in OU football history to beat Texas, to beat Nebraska, uh, who was uh, number one, to beat Kansas State, who was number two, all in the span of a few weeks was incredible. And uh, to see that and to be there was amazing. And then the, the moment, uh, you know, the, the Trey Miller play was obviously fantastic. There's been some, some other really big ones, but it's got to be the Superman play. I mean, uh, Roy Williams flying over uh, a blocker to get to uh, Chris Sims, knock the ball right into Teddy Lehman's hands, touchdown, OU wins. Um, I mean, it's uh, really the iconic moment of, uh, of Oklahoma's defense and, and really uh, of Oklahoma period, uh, you know, since the, the Bob Stoops era began. Uh, it's the one play that you always think about and certainly the most incredible singular play that I've seen regardless of game, but uh, was massive because of the situation and, and when it, where it happened and when. That's great. Uh, Ryan, thank you again for hopping on the show today. Uh, quickly, if you could tell the audience uh, your social media handle and where they could find your stuff. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at R-Y-A-B-E-R at Ryeaber. And uh, you can find my work every day at oklahoman.com. That's great, Ryan. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course.